Today before us on Walk in Truth Radio is the famous story of the rich young ruler. And in this account, Jesus introduces a child and says we must have the faith of a child. Well, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus confronts his false God, which is money. And in the interaction, the rich young ruler walks away sorrowfully and Jesus let him go. Stay tuned, that's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. These are God's commandments, not man's, God's. And by the way, there's battles in America now everywhere whether we should have 10 commandments posted in places. Do you know why? Because some people say that if they're posted, people will look at them. And if, they, and if people look at them, they might be influenced by them. <laughs> like, uh, don't kill people and don't commit adultery on your wife and don't steal stuff and don't covet and don't lie. You know, I know those are questionable things. Maybe we shouldn't be teaching them to the young people today know how good they're doing today. <laughs> oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Man, once you remove the law, what do you got? If everything becomes relative and subjective, then we're in trouble. You hear the story, you know, professor, Christian professor's telling a story, and he says, yeah, back in the dorm in college, we were having debates about relativism, and relativism basically says that everything's, you know, truth just depends on how you look at it. If it's true for you, then it's, I'm so sick of hearing that. If it's true for you, it must be true, but for me, <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't do voices like that, but that's sometimes how it comes across. <laughs> And you're like, shut up. <laughs> I don't know if that was from the spirit of the flesh, but you'll have to determine that. <laughs> what do you mean if it's true for me, it's true? So they're having a debate in a college dorm room and you know, the, the young college student, full of relativism from our, you know, much of our teaching in society says, uh, all truth is relative. Is that an absolute statement? See, as soon as you say that everything's relative, you've just made an absolute statement and you've just contradicted yourself. So the young man, budding uh, Christian professor, takes the man's uh, boom box out of the dorm room and begins to leave. And he goes, hey, hey, what are you, hey, that's mine. And he goes, well, uh, my truth is that I can take other people's stereos whenever I want. Are you going to now appeal to a moral absolute like thou shall not steal? You see, this works when we're just talking about, you know, subjects or maybe we're having a cup of coffee, but it doesn't work in real life. The commandments sound pretty good when someone's trying to steal your car or cheat with your wife or kill you. Then it's pretty good to say, you know what, there is a law that says you shouldn't do this. See, our society is losing touch with that. And when you lose your moral bearings, folks, a society is in trouble. He said to him, notice his response, verse 20. He said, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. I'd like 
to interview his parents, right? Did he really honor you between the ages of 10 and 16? Because <laughs> if he did, I want to know what kind of cereal you were giving him. Now, he said, look, I've, I've done all this from my youth up is, is a phrase that we can trust means from my bar mitzvah. You became a son of the law. Bar mitzvah is a combination of son and law. And at your bar mitzvah, which happened when you were 13, you became responsible for yourself in Jewish culture. You became a son of the law, responsible to the law. So what he's saying is, from the time I was 13 until now, I've honored mom and dad. I haven't lied. I haven't killed anybody. Um, I haven't cheated. And so he may be actually being legitimate here. You know, we could mock this, but he might be saying, you know what, Lord, I've tried hard. Paul said when it came to the external living out of the law, Philippians 3, 6, he said he was blameless. But when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, you know what he did with the law. He took the law to its depth. He said the law is a mirror. The law is a searchlight. You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. But I say, if you hate somebody in your heart, what? You're a murderer. You've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you lust after a woman, you've committed what? Adultery in your heart. So Jesus took the law to a depth where when people were listening to Matthew, you know, if you want to write this down, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. He took it to the place where it really goes. See, God doesn't just look at what we do on the outside. The law glares into our heart. The law is a mirror to our soul. And Jesus had been talking about hardness of heart when he talked about divorce and uh, even the disciples. And looking at him, Jesus, look at verse 21, felt love for him. The ESV says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. In case you're wrestling with Calvinism and Arminianism and the elect and the non-elect, and you're a student of theology, I'll say to you that this is an example in the Bible where Jesus loves somebody that is apparently an unbeliever. Interesting. Because some of our Extreme Calvinist friends say that God does not love the non-elect, and they try to get around John 3.16, God so loved the world, and they say, well, maybe that's the world of the elect. Well, right here it says that Jesus loved this man, and you're going to watch him walk away from the Lord and not commit his life. So it is quite interesting that the Bible says that Jesus loved him. And I'll say this to you this morning on the authority of the Bible, that Jesus loves you no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter, no matter how you've cataloged your spiritual life, he loves you. That's why he came. And he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell, what's your Bible say? All you possess, give it to the poor, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Matthew's version says in Matthew 19, 20, that the young man said to him, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? He sensed the lack in himself. That's why he's at Jesus' uh, feet in the first place on his knees because if he didn't sense a lack in his life and if money is enough and being a cool, rich, young ruler is enough, why does he even come to Jesus in the first place? Because riches often show you the hollowness of life. Because when you have wealth, you realize that wealth is not the answer to everything. And there's been plenty of movie stars who have supported that. They're living on the top of a hill somewhere, but their life is a mess. And this man sensed a lack 
in himself. Sometimes rich people sense it more than poor people. Poor people just want to be where the rich man is, and the rich man says, you know what? Money's gotten me in trouble. Now, money's in and of itself, of course, is not a bad thing. But here's the deal. For this man, money had become his God. It had, you see, he said he had kept the law, but he had another God before the God of the Bible, and his God was mammon or money, and Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money or mammon. You can't. You'll cling to the one and reject the other. You can't do it. And this man was trying to do it. You see, his God was money, and Jesus attacked his God. This is not the usual. Jesus didn't say to every potential follower, go sell everything you have. Aren't you glad? I mean, the rich young ruler could have responded like this. Lord, did you say all? Did I hear you right? All? What, what happened to the 10% thing? I'm good with 10%. Even, even if you said 25. But what did you say? Sell all? Does all really mean all? Could we parse the word? Is that what it means in Greek and Hebrew? Yeah. Go sell. Do I hear 50%? <laughs> and we're hard on the rich young ruler until we realize that in just living in America and having some extra money on the side and a couple of cars and a roof over our head, we're probably the most wealthy people on the planet. And if you came to Jesus and you said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to you, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. What would you do? Lord, uh, does this include all peripheral items? <laughs> items for entertainment purposes, <laughs> motorcycles, golf clubs, I don't want to leave the ladies out. Purses. <laughs> that's handbag I just bought. That's so pretty. <laughs> Everything. Come on, Lord. Go sell everything you have. Whew. I don't know if you guys can feel that one. And the disciples have to be standing on the sideline and thinking, Lord, what are you saying? He's wealthy. Add him to the disciples. He's got money. What would you be saying if you were waiting in the wings and you were one of the 12? Finally, somebody with money. And what's he doing? He's telling them to sell it all and give it to the sisters of mercy. Wait a minute. What about us? What about you, Lord? You don't even have a, you don't even have a pillow. Sell all you possess. Because then you'll have treasure in heaven. No, Jesus does not ask us all to sell everything to follow him, but, but this man's issue was his money, and he had to be shocked, almost like a coach who gets cold water dumped on him you know, when he doesn't see it coming, ice water. <gasps> he had to be shocked. I mean, maybe he came up to Jesus self-assured. Maybe he's thinking, you know what? Uh, I've been able to accomplish so much. I'm, Lord, what must I do? You remember the Syrian commander Naaman? He has leprosy, but he's a great man. And, and finally, he ends up at the prophet's house, and he wants to be healed of the leprosy, and he's got something like a million dollars with him to pay. And the, the prophet doesn't even come out. He says, just go in the Jordan and wash. And he's, he's like, what? I thought he was going to come out and wave his hand over me and, and, and call upon the name of his God. What do you mean dip in the Jordan seven times? We got cleaner rivers in Syria. 
And the servant said, well, what if he had asked you to jump on one foot for half an hour? Would you have done it? That's not the literal translation, by the way, but you get the point. What if he asked you to do some great thing? Would you have done it? And finally, he begrudgingly dips seven times in the Jordan and God touches and heals him. You see, maybe this man was thinking, he's just gonna tell me to do, you know, maybe a couple additional things, but, but he's asked me to sell everything and follow him. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm gonna tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com. Scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer. And our prayer is that it'll get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. Response, Dante called this the great refusal. But at these words, 22, his face fell. Stugnasas is the Greek word. It's used in Matthew 16, 16, 3, for the sky becoming overcast. The word speaks of shock, fallen countenance, and gloom. For he was one that owned much property. He was extremely wealthy, the other gospels say. And when Jesus said this, his face fell. Gloom hit him. My computer is making noises here, but the man's whole countenance fell because he realized what he was being asked to do. He was being asked to count the cost. And he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. I wonder how many people, when, they're, when they hear the gospel preached and they, they have a sense about Jesus and they hear the terms of the contract. It's not easy believism here, guys. Yes, you start by just simply trusting as a child in Christ, but Christ wants to be your Lord. He wants to be everything to you. He wants to be your God. He doesn't want any other gods before him, and that's the commandment that the young man was breaking. And he walked away grieved and sorrowful. And he, he did it for money. Now, just reflect for a second. It's been 2,000 years since this encounter. Don't know where the rich young ruler ended up, but let's assume for the moment that he never repented. I hope he did. But if he didn't, and his soul is still alive today, he traded the opportunity of a lifetime to follow Jesus Christ, the God-man, the God who came down in human flesh one time you know, in, our, in the very history in which we're embedded. Yes, he showed up in Theophanies, but he became a man 2,000 years ago. And this ruler had a chance to follow him and have treasures in heaven, and he bailed on it for money. Money, property, which how long would that last him? Maybe he's in his mid-20s. Maybe he got another 60 years on the planet, or maybe he lived and lived to 100. And then what? Wherever the rich young ruler is, I wonder what kind of conversations he's having with himself. Maybe he repented. We don't know. And Jesus, looking around, verse 23, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult it is. Luke 18, 24 says that Jesus looked at him and was sad. 
Get this, the rich young ruler, Luke 18, 24, was sad and Jesus was sad. Jesus didn't just say these words. Jesus loved the man. Look, what he spoke, he spoke out of love because he knew that it was the man's possessions that were keeping him from a full relationship and commitment to God. Jesus spoke these words in love and when the man walked away, Luke 18, 24 says that Jesus was sad. Do you wanna know how Jesus responds when people reject him, sadness. And the only reason he's sad is because he loved him. And when people walk away in our generation, here's what we can infer from these verses, that God is sad. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, none. He wants all people to come to what? Repentance. Jesus was sad because he loved him. And I wonder how many times a day God's heart breaks. Because this tells us that God does not take away our free will. Jesus doesn't chase him down. He doesn't say, please reconsider, rich young ruler, please. He doesn't use his powers to get him to turn around again and reconsider. No, Jesus, get this, folks. Let him go. He let him go because God wants us to decide. Will we follow? There's free will right in front of us. And the disciples, 24, were amazed at Jesus' words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in the Jewish mind, when you had uh, material wealth, they saw that as a blessing. They knew the stories of Job. They knew the stories of Abraham. They knew the stories of uh, Isaac and Jacob and other biblical characters who had much material possessions. And they seemed to be associated, at least at times, with blessing from God. In fact, one of the three pillars of Jewish piety was almsgiving. And so if you gave away all your property, how could you give to the poor, which was one of the signs of piety? So in the Jewish mind, they said, this doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus say this to him? And he says, it's easier for a camel, I wrote in my notes, humps and all, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished, and they said to him, then who can be saved? Lord, if this is true, and material prosperity is an issue as well, then who can be saved? It's easier for a camel to go through the the eye of a needle. There are some ancient sayings that um, used elephants and Persian expressions The Persians expressed the impossibility by saying it was easier to put an elephant through the eye of a needle. Some people have talked about a gate that had this name, but I think Jesus is taking the biggest animal in Israel, the camel with humps and all, and the littlest opening, the eye of a needle, and saying, that's how hard it is. If you're gonna get through, you're gonna have to squeeze through humps and all to be saved. And, the Mark, and Mark says the disciples were even more amazed these words, at these words because they believed in an ancient rendition of what's called today prosperity theology taught by the rabbis that if you're rich, you must have the blessing of God. Looking upon them, Jesus said, 27, with men, who can be saved? <laughs> Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. But not with God for What? How many things? All things are possible with God. All things. That's why I'm standing here, by the way, because Jesus pushed me through the eye of the needle. 
That's why I'm saved. And Peter began to say to him, now, you gotta love Peter. Peter took all this in and he said, behold, um, Lord, I'd like to just update you on current events just in case you overlook this. Behold, we have left everything and followed you. That guy, now he's walking away all gloomy, but I would just like to remind you, Lord, anybody ever do this in prayer? Lord, I'd just like to remind you how much I've given up to serve you. Boy, did you get one when you got me. I fast and tithe and tithe and fast and share with people. And I even let people in when I'm leaving the church parking lot. Go ahead. (laughs) Peter says, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. Kind of like this. What's in it for us? Now, Peter and his brother had left the fishing business and Matthew left the tax collecting booth and we know there was something to give up. They were away from, probably a lot of them away from family and Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one, 29, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive how much? A hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. God takes nothing away from a man without restoring it to him and giving it to him in a new and glorious form. You know, I start to think about, what have I really given up to follow Christ? For me, it was heartache, emptiness, poor decisions, you know, things that were a bad example to others, that's what I've given up. What have I really given up to follow Christ? Anything that I've given up, and and I can't even remember things that, you know, I was confronted with many decades ago now, they pale in comparison. They're nothing compared to knowing him, to knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection to knowing even the fellowship of his sufferings, knowing that I'm working for something that's gonna last way beyond this life. But Jesus then says, but many who are first, and note the word many, will be last, and the last first. When we were at the men's retreat, we were in line for food. There's a lot of food up there. And uh, we're, you know, moving towards the front where you had your choice of all these different spreads and some of the people in our group cut in line. <laughs> very non-Christian thing to do. And, and so, you know, when you cut, have you ever, if you've ever cut in a line, you gotta kind of play it off, you know, so you, so you cut in front of all these people and you go, hey, how you doing, hey, hey. Great to see you. We're family, right? Just so everybody knows, we know each other. (laughs) That's when you should say, I have no idea who you are. Cutter, he's cutting. He cut. (laughs) (laughs) See, we love shortcuts as Americans. What's the shortcut to? How many people have bought the... 99.99 shortcut to wealth, right? 
If you buy these videos for $99.99, you too can own this, and you see all the properties and stuff, and then you get the package, and about the only thing that package has done is taken a place on your shelf somewhere, collected dust while the man took your $100, right? We love shortcuts. But Jesus is saying, look, when it comes to following me, no shortcuts. In fact, I'm going to ask you to be last because when you're last, when you become servant of all, then in my kingdom, you'll be first. You ever tried to apply it like at a potluck or a dinner? Maybe you're the first, you know. Maybe anytime food is made, they say, okay, the food's ready. Oh, nobody's going to ask me twice. (laughs) 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 You ever just tried to cool your jets for a second? Go ahead. You know, Jesus did this in the upper room when he washed their feet. And this was very poignant because these guys continued to argue about who was going to be what? The greatest. And they looked at this prosperous man and, and now he's walking away gloomy and they're saying, Lord, what about us? And Jesus says, look, you, you don't even realize what you're going to have in the presence of God. In the regeneration, you're even going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel, but many who have placed themselves first, they're going to be last. And the last people we may not even expect are going to have a prominent place in the kingdom. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith, turning away from our sin, which is repentance. It literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek, which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now, when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection and and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ. Hey folks, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about our store at walkintruth.com. If you click on the store... We have a number of products up there. They're teaching products, DVDs, CDs, books that are available, all to help your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you purchase a product at our store at walkintruth.com, you help us pay for radio airtime and you partner with us and it's a blessing in both directions. So check it out today. Go to the store, walkintruth.com. Click on it. Click on the store. You'll see a number of different products. That's walkintruth.com. Click on the store today and it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you and we'll catch you next time on the broadcast. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.